everybody. My name is Jenny. Welcome to Miami Lit Podcast. For today's episode, we are joined by the film directors Max and Nelson of the film A La Calle and Dr. Federica Davila, one of the co-founders of the Green Cross. Hello, my name is Nelson Gonzalez Navarrete. I'm a filmmaker and I am Venezuelan, but I live in Los Angeles. Hi, my name is Max Caicedo, also co-director and producer of A La Calle, filmmaker and um, from San Francisco. My name is Federica Davila. I am 27 years old. I live in Caracas, Venezuela, and I am a doctor currently working in the public health system. Thank you. Um, so you are, you're all three of you are here, obviously, for uh, the documentary you have coming out in two days, A La Calle. Tell me a little bit about how this was born. Next to it. I'll take this. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm the one who gets this question all the time. Um, the, uh, so, uh, Greg Little, who, um, was the, is the executive producer and, uh, has priority pictures. Um, he was looking for someone for quite some time to do a project on Venezuela. Um, he had, uh, close ties to the Lopez story. And so as a result, he felt the desire to tell Leopoldo Lopez's story, but also to kind of do a larger project on Venezuela. But he couldn't find anyone to do it. Uh, I guess all the normal guys said it was too crazy, too dangerous, too scary, um, you know, because of the obvious and well-publicized uh, issues with journalists and anyone, you know, kind of embarking on any projects that were against the government um, or even critical of the government. So we just happened to get connected and I happened to be working with Nelson at that time. Um, we had just started Vitamin together. And uh, yeah, so it was kind of like this like very like perfect serendipitous like moment. Mm -hmm. and, I, and, I, and I said, well, I'm pretty sure, you know, Nelson would be interested in doing it. And, uh, and I'm pretty sure he can't. Um, if I know Nelson, he can make this happen. So, um, and that was kind of the beginning of it. You know, just proving that we could actually do it was the first step proving that we could get a team in Venezuela film and then get that footage out um, was our first sort of hurdle. But once we were able to do that, then the, then we just, then the three to five year journey That's, began. Yeah. And congratulations because the, the result is incredible. The hard work is, you know, it's very obvious. It, it's amazing. My first reaction when I saw it, I was like, how, how did they do this and still be alive? It must have been, were you scared <laughs> at all? So part of it was, part of the decision we made was uh, Nelson and I actually didn't go down and film uh, this in Venezuela. We did do some filming, um, but we were in other places, not directly, not in country. Um, and so part of that decision had a lot to do with safety. Um, and it also had a lot to do with sort of trying to, trying to uh, maintain or the longevity of this project. Mm -hmm. we have, we're not doing this interview in Spanish, but if we were, you would hear you my can, accent. You can, we can switch back and forth. Oh, no, no, no. I'm just saying you would hear my accent and it's a thick gringo accent. It's not <laughs> fooling anybody. And so, and Nelson has. Oh, I see what you're for, saying. For why being in Venezuela yeah. was not so safe for him. And so. 
you know, it's it's not something that we could just go down there and sort of blend in mm-hmm. as as documentaries and filmmakers. It just wasn't going to happen, at least for me specifically. But also Nelson, again, like I said, has his own thing. And so we also aren't familiar with living in a dictatorship, if you know what I mean. Um, Absolutely. Just, just for me, I take a lot of things for granted living and growing up in the United States that I don't, you know, I don't really have. I've never really dealt with a political police mm-hmm. that's out there trying to find people like me doing critical work of right. the government. And so, you know, Nelson believed it was the best idea and I agreed um, that we empower local creatives and local filmmakers in Venezuela to capture um, all the all the material, the majority of the material. Um, and then we just sort of guided, you know, guided them from afar. Mm-hmm. Not the easiest, but definitely the safest uh, in terms of, and then the best for the longevity of the project. Because we had a few incidents, you know, and they weren't nothing crazy. Everything turned out okay. But, you know, I think part of that is that there wasn't like this like very centralized film operation right. going. Nelson was very good at just keeping each team kind of isolated and siloed in their own specific tasks so that there wasn't this like um, sort of big project to uncover, so to speak. I'm sure that must have been super empowering for the people that you were dealing with. Yeah, yeah. I guess, sorry, I was trying to no, stabilize okay. my connection, but I think I, think I got it. Um, I try not to repeat what Max said, but um, we definitely relied on the skills of our team, you know, and their 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 flow in the country. Because one thing is to do a documentary about a dictatorship, and one thing is to do a documentary about a dictatorship in Venezuela. You add all the layers of like uh, violence, of crime, kidnaps. You know, there's there's all the things that happen behind the scenes people don't realize. You know, so. We had to like smuggle hard drives in and out of Venezuela. So our operation is very tight. We try to keep it as 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 like small as possible, as Max said, but also as diverse as possible. You know, I try to add filmmakers, but also journalists, also like artists, you not know, street artists that were able to blend and not be like questioned, you know. Because mm-hmm. in Venezuela, unfortunately, you can't even film a ad of Chavez, you know. Like our team member got in trouble because he filmed something of Chavez. Imagine there's no like there's no freedom of press, you know? mm-hmm. so imagine us coming in and out of the country with cameras. It would have been possible, you know. So we we did get a lot of footage that we didn't use, but imagine imagine the risk of the team. So we actually got really lucky that we found a great team. I feel like you and- could probably make a documentary about your documentary. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. For sure. Sorry, Max. I interrupted you. Oh, no. And I was going to say, you know, I think one thing that Nel- that Nelson kind of, the one thing that Nelson left out is, like, you know, we're here keeping abreast of the situation through all the people that we knew there, right? Because the news here would, you'd hear something here and there, you know, if you're trying to keep up with events at the rate of the news coming out of Venezuela or through Western media, that's not, you're going to fall behind. And I think one thing that, that was really helpful to Nelson well, to me and to Nelson, but like, I think Nelson specifically was like the guy who was like getting injected with all the information every morning was um, just everyone on the ground kind of giving us or stay, keeping us surprised of what was going on politically, socially, 
you know, humanitarian, just keeping all that kind of in real time for us so that we could track the story much, you know, much more closely and then give, you know, direction that made sense to our team members. Right. Yeah, WhatsApp, shout out to WhatsApp that kept, kept yeah. us uh, communicating. Yeah. Twitter. That's how you guys all kept in touch through WhatsApp. That's, yeah, that's incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. And are, are, are those people still there today? The people you worked with? Yeah, unfortunately, we can display. <laughs> yeah, Erika, she's our talent. She was one of our uh, subjects that we follow. She has a, I would love to get some stories. Erika feels the savior of, of the whole thing. And, and we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> because what but you yes, did is team, incredible. Some of our team is, uh, is some of our team is credited. Uh, a lot of the team, maybe more than half, decided not to be credited for security reasons. So, you know, some, some are in the country, some are not. Right. Um, I want to jump into, you know, one of those, the, the opening scene where, um, you know, every, everyone's just having like a normal conversation and all of a sudden all hell breaks loose and everybody starts running away. What was it like to see that for the first time for you as a filmmaker? Uh, I don't know. I don't want to answer that, but... For me, uh, actually, every footage that we got was crazy. You know, that's not the worst scene that we saw. Um, every time we would see like footage of hospitals, footage of the border, footage of prisons, you know, that we never showed. Um, it was just like surreal, you know. I was, yeah. I, I didn't understand how my country got to that level. You know, the streets where I walked one day got to that. It's, it's a little, it's a little scary, you know, but. For my team, I think it was, uh, I don't know, I was just, you know, giving them like medals of honor, you know, that they were able to catch that footage, you know, because it was definitely scary. You know? And I just felt proud, you know, because they were like, right. they didn't care, you know, they're like all for the story. So, yeah, I, I felt very lucky to be blessed with a great team. Yeah, I think that's um, amongst all your accomplishments with this film. I think, at least for me, one of the, the most impressive things was to see everybody coming together just a sea of people and how much hope that must have brought them in that moment you know but then you as, as you the film progresses and you guys show you know the more up-to-date situation and how nothing has really changed what do you think that does for the people there well, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I can, I can, I can jump in here because I don't know what the answer. How, like, I don't know if the answer just gets maybe a little um, yeah. political. But I do think that the idea of change was really like right there mm -hmm. at the. You know, it was, it was almost like everyone just thought it was like one more day, one more march, one more week, maybe even two months. Out. Like they really believed it was right there. And and I can't speak as a Venezuelan, but I can speak as a filmmaker, kind of being close to everyone. And communicating with everyone and the feeling that i got from everyone was like you know like all right it's just a matter of time like you know we're just like right up knocking on the door and then yeah and then it didn't happen um i don't i don't know that i could accurately express the disappointment that that created for everyone that we know and that we were in contact with and the disillusionment i think that that creates um i think there's this feeling that the po popular will or that you know all these people in the streets eventually someone will listen eventually you will listen to change 
and there's that like hopeful optimism that happens and it's almost like crazy you see that many people in the street you're like okay what's the question like where's the debate here like let's just move on with this right but i think that that's like a very um western or like maybe not western but like i think that's a mindset that's from people who live in very privileged places who still have functioning democracies right venezuela was a functioning democracy right people who have rights exactly Venezuela was a functioning democracy i'm not and i'm not taking that away from venezuela but it's kind of moved away from that and so Mm -hmm. the expectation that these sort of mass mass mobilizations of people and the 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 ability to create change electorally like that doesn't exist there and so, so i think even though it was a very powerful symbolic visual message for the world and for Venezuelans, it like the hard reality was they were in a, they were there is a dictatorship and the dictatorship is kind of playing life and death for itself if you think about it. Like internationally, you know, the international community is kind of out has kind of completely, you know, uh, exiled them some sort of the, the larger communication. They're being investigated for crimes against humanity at the Hague. I mean, you know, from Maduro and his regime, a lot of them, they're like, they're holding on to power because they want the moment they leave, you know what I mean? Like, that's it for them. And so they're going to hold on until the very, to the very end, I believe, personally. And I think that the fact that that, what that reality, like fully set in, I think, after what happened with Guaido and everything that happened didn't achieve the change, I think everyone just kind of like started to feel um like oh man like if Guaido couldn't do it like who can you know what I mean right. because he had I mean he, he was yeah he was he was larger than life yeah it makes you feel like if all those people in the streets can't cause change what what's left for the the rest of the world you know what I mean because I feel like Venezuela um what what they did maybe possibly the first example of people actually really coming together for a common cause so it it's bittersweet for sure um i know federica you have to go soon so i'm going to jump to you so i uh you know we can get the the most out of our time together tell me about that first day you decided to go out into the street well, um, at the beginning, we were very few people. The first day we were four, and we just took our backpacks from school, the, the backpacks we use for for university, and filled them with whatever we could find in any pharmacy, like gauze or alcohol, band-aids, whatever, very basic. Um, and we jumped to the street and started helping. And that very first day, it was amazing how people started feeling like protected just by having a medical student nearby who was able to access uh, if they were injured or whatever and could help. So it was amazing the feeling that we got. And we said like, oh my God, this has an amazing potential and we have to make it stronger in order to be able to help more and more and more people. So then we started growing, more people started joining, basically medical students. But when this movement uh, started gaining more and more power, even our professors from school started joining. And that was amazing because we had the teachers from our classrooms joining us 
and teaching us in the streets with this patients who really needed help and being there made could could make and did make in several opportunities the difference between oh my god let's lights gonna maybe power's going off <laughs> if if i get down, the, the power's off uh so it was amazing uh how our teachers joined us and the streets became our classrooms even the pa the parents of a lot of medical students started joining my dad joined the green cross and he was there with me teaching me how to treat the most uh, basic and the most harsh injuries and that was the feeling that we got from the the hope of the people the the confidence they had of having us there was amazing. So that feeling just came stronger and stronger and stronger. And every day we had less fear and we had more, uh, we, we were willing to go out to the streets and risk whatever we had to risk in order to put our grain of salt and contribute to the wealth of the people. Right. Was was there ever a day or a moment where you felt really scared or, or were you questioned what you were doing? Uh, many, <laughs> many days. Uh, sometimes it got so dangerous that uh, the adrenaline of the moment didn't make it feel so dangerous. But when you look backwards and say like, oh my God, I was in the middle of guns and fire and it was terrifying. I, I think it was more scary after it ended than at the moment when you were present there. Uh, yes, the police looked for me in one opportunity. They went to somewhere I was before one of the marches and they said like, where is she? Uh, they had my ID, like my ID number and said like, where's Federica? Obviously, that day, uh, I was terribly scared. The day after I left the country, I was out for about a month and then came back. It was really hard because when I left the country, even people started like uh, writing text text messages to my to my father, like, uh, we know she's a liar. We're going to kill her. We know where you live. So it was wow. That was the like the worst moment ever. But we left. Uh, we, we like. I, I tried to spend some time uh, out of here and uh, wait until everything was calmer and then came back and started helping again. But when I came back in one of the marches, uh, the third or fourth march uh, in which I was present after I came back, uh, I had an accident in one of the marches and my foot broke in four. <laughs> So then I had surgery twice and I wasn't able to be on the field for a lot of time. So I think the same God was like kind of, hey, stay home for a while. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I, I didn't know that. The experience was like, oh, my God. Like, uh, I grew up a lot there. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you hear this all the time, but you're extremely brave. I don't know if in your situation I would have been able to pull myself together like that. I probably would have stayed home and <laughs> and just waited. <laughs> the thing of of how much of the difference we were making there was much more powerful than any fear. Wow. Yeah, that's impressive. 
That's impressive. Yeah. We need more people like you, for sure. <laughs> Thank um, you. No, I mean that. Uh, what can you tell us about, um, obviously, experiencing being a medical student under those circumstances must have been extremely difficult. But what kept you going? Well, um, I always wanted to be a doctor. Since I was born, my mom always jokes and says that before I said mom, I said medicine. So, uh, yeah, I always had that dream. And being at school, of course, it was it was hard seeing how every they were there without any salary. The salary is like it's funny. It's just they're. I just thought they're giving us their best and. This is my dream, so I just have to keep going. Hello? Yes, I, I hear you. You there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? I, I, yeah. I lost you for lost like you. a second, but then you came back. Can you say that the last thing that you said one more time? Because that's when I lost you. Well, I was saying that uh, I always wanted to be a doctor. My dad's a doctor as well. And uh, it was impressive for me how our teachers were... They're willing to teach us all of their knowledge, uh, not receiving anything in exchange because their salaries are funny. I mean, it's ridiculous what they earn, but they were still there. And the difference we could make in our patients at the hospital was amazing. Even without the most basic resources, these doctors were there every day. They were giving their best to their patients, were giving their best to their students. And I felt like, uh, I have to do this. I have to finish my career and then uh, keep up with my medicine studies. And I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to uh, like uh, inherit all of this goodwill that I'm receiving from these doctors. What, uh, towards the end of the film, when you said, I'm going to go finish my studies and then I'm going to come back and give back to my community. I thought, that's great, but I hope she doesn't go back. <laughs> That, you know, selfishly, <laughs> I thought for you, like, hope she doesn't go back. She's been through so much, but you did go back. But, but I, I, I do wish to come. I haven't gone uh, to finish my studies wh where I want to go mm -hmm. and do my master's and everything. Uh, but I do want to come back. I feel like I grew up here. I love this country. It has, it has given me so much. You don't get in trouble for, for doing any of this, right? I did get in trouble several times back in the protests, but I think nowadays I'm focused more on helping the hospital. I'm working at a, at a hospital here in Caracas, one of the biggest. Um, and I hope bad people don't watch these interviews because I might get in trouble again. But mm -hmm. I don't think, I mean, I don't think they will mess with people who's helping this much at the healthcare system, not not today. Right, right. Um, yeah, with everything that you guys are doing and, and with the little resources that you have, you, you think they, they need your help, you know? Yeah, it's really hard. It's, it's really hard when you watch your patients suffer and you know, like, I know what I should do. I have the knowledge to cure this disease or whatever or stop their pain, but... I just don't have the tools. It's really hard. That must be so frustrating. I, I can't yes, imagine. It's emotionally draining, but 
they still they still need help so we need to be there for them most definitely can can anyone in venezuela become a doctor like is that a choice that they allow for everybody um well if you get to the university you can do your studies and get your your degree right uh the reason why i ask is because i'm not venezuelan um although i've had family and friends live there not currently but for many years um i was born in cuba and there you can only become a doctor if you have if you've proven yourself uh to be politically affiliated um so that's why i was asking like if you guys have rules like that well when i got into the university i do uh, i did it through the test that you 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 have to like you you take a test Mm -hmm. and either you pass fail and you get in or not right i think that's that has changed and now is something based with the government like uh, you have to subscribe to a web page in which you fill a form and i i don't really know how how it's working nowadays but it's something like that interesting um thank you thank you for sharing that cuz i i tried to you know figure that out on my own and it was difficult the information doesn't well- seem to be very uh open no, not reachable. No, exactly. Yes, thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Um, what do you think the whole world sees all the human rights issues going on in Venezuela, especially through your profession? Um, what do you think that, what impact do you think that has had for everybody else watching? Well, um, as I always say, this channel are the most valuable thing that anyone can give to Venezuela right now because it it is the path to create awareness of what is happening and show the world what's what's going on here. It's no secret that the healthcare system is broken and everything else is broken as well. But you know I work on the health in, in the healthcare system. So it's really important for us to the world to watch and it's impressive how people from all parts of the world who get to know what's happening uh, empathize, um, like empathize so much with us and they all start worrying and like how can we help you what's the situation uh, how's the humanitarian aid coming in are you receiving medicines and all kinds of help that they would like to to send so that's uh, amazingly powerful just to spread the word and people start knowing what's going on and trying to help in any way possible I think that's the most powerful thing that that we have right now right that was going to be my next question how can people help today um, you know even with uh, like medicines uh, can people send medications is there an organization that allows this to happen there, there are several like NGOs that receive medicine and uh, they distribute it through different hospitals and communities where they lack everything, like even water, and they have a lot of uh, parasite infections, viruses, bacteria. Um, so they can send medicine. There's like um, couriers and stuff that bring them to Venezuela and it's not as hard as it was before. So you actually see the um, the supplies getting to the people. They don't get lost. When they get missed. through, 
when they get through different NGOs that help with this, uh, yes, I have seen it with my own eyes. Even with the Green Cross, we received a lot of medicines that were so useful for the people here, not only for the protests and marches, but also to the communities that, uh, as I was saying, lack uh, every basic resource. So I have seen how how help has come in the has come into the country and has been delivered to the people who are most in need. That's good news, at least. That's um. That's that. Sorry, that's just to plug into the last point of Federica. Um, like I think that's something that I I would want to add because mm -hmm. in the previous statement you question you had asked me a little bit about what you know sort of the the lack of hope coming out of you know, change not necessarily coming after Guaido's movement um, in, in, at the end of our film. But, and I, and I think that a lot of people seeing that change hasn't happened could come away like, oh my God, like, all right, whatever. Like, Venezuela's done, it's a dictatorship. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. nothing more to see here. But that's actually not the case. Um, actually change has happened. And I think one of the biggest changes that, and Federica is kind of mentioning that, or discussing it a little bit is, that since you know that whole showdown with the humanitarian aid and the whole Guaido thing, a lot um some humanitarian aid channels have been opened up going into the country um, through various NGOs and um, I think with the help of the UN. And so that is something that has improved, and that's been as a result of a lot of the international pressure and work that's been done by you know obviously organizations within Venezuela, but also sort of their international partners um, like Human Rights Watch and all that. So. Um, I think it's important to know that um, all the help, or to re-emphasize that all the help that is pushed, that is done, you know, all the donations or medicine or whatever, it does actually, is actually making an impact and and, and, and it's getting better. Or uh, I'll, I'll, I'll leave the ultimate better or worse statement for, you know, maybe Federica or someone who has more close on the ground, but the ability for supplies to make their way into the country has improved over the past yes. few years, and that's a big victory. Yes, yes, it has, definitely. So you would definitely, at least in that area, uh, say that there's been an improvement from when you started in 2017 to now? As uh, receiving aid from outside, from different uh, organizations that send us directly to NGOs, yes, mm -hmm. definitely. Not as in the healthcare system, per se, mm -hmm. like... Uh, medicines uh from the hospitals or or ambulatories or whatever but from ngos who are working on getting help to the most in need yeah that's like i said at least that's some good news um that's yeah. come out of all of this um uh, before i let you go federica though i i do want to congratulate you again for your amazing work i it's incredible what you were able to do with so little and under such stressful circumstances. So I'm, I'm Thank sure. You. No. And uh, it was not on my own. I mean, this was the work, the hard work and the effort of more than 200 people that were working every day tirelessly, even in the harshest conditions, but they are, uh, they are as amazing as you think I am. They, they have the merit of working as hard as I did. So it's the teamwork. That's, that's amazing. We're uh, we're all in all of all of you, so um, hope to hear from all of you at some point. At you know in in the in the field that you're in, I'm sure you all accomplish great things. Amen. 
Yeah, thank you for being here. No, thank you for the space. Absolutely. It's, it's an honor and a pleasure. Um, so I'll return to you, gentlemen, since I know Federica has to go. Um, let's go back to uh, the political climate in, in Venezuela and what you, you witnessed through the film. Um, it was really interesting to see uh, the political perceptions. Um, what I mean by that is we see so many people, like we mentioned earlier, just out in the streets advocating for democracy and human rights. But then at the same time, you see some people who are celebrating Maduro's achievements. How, how is that? How, how did you correlate those two? Um, I guess think about that a little bit. We, as documentarians and filmmakers, our goal was to, to be a channel for what was happening in Venezuela and to digest information to put it into an hour and a half. That was like our homework, you know? Mm -hmm. So the characters that you see in the film, the four primary characters are the characters that not only were willing to show up in the film, but also whose story represented the reality the most. You know, we have secondary characters that uh, maybe were more pro-Maduro, like Edgar, mm -hmm. but Edgar made it to the film because it just happened to make it to the film, you know, because we wanted to interview all types of people, all voices of society. But in reality, the people that want to speak from a little and are willing to do it and are willing to go forward with that story are very little, you know? So we didn't really pick a side of the story, you know? And as a filmmaker, you have to put your voice in there, but we were a channel for reality. So, you know, we dog we went to the street when, as soon as we got the information from him and we went to the street, you know? And we didn't necessarily take opposition or pro Maduro, we just like went out, you know? So. In the footage we got that made the film the footage that represented the reality. You know? So, you know, the reality is that people came out in masses to, to protest against the government. And the things that we show pro-government, you know, personally, I know most of those things are structured to show the world that there is still support on that side. Mm -hmm. And there's many ways that those things happen. But in reality, what made the film is, is, is the reality. You know what I mean? I, I, don't, I don't know how to go around that a little bit more, like, uh obvious but but yes it was it was difficult to get those voices that represented from a little side jenny sorry to interrupt no, but no. Uh, now i really have to i have a patient but i wanted to thank you for the space and everything and the attention in venezuela also max nelson thank you always uh and well keep in touch <laughs> mucho gusto federica gracias the truth is you go out you go out to venezuela and you go out most people want change like mm -hmm. at least that's what we saw you right. know what i mean yes there are still people who support maduro yes there are still people who believe in the legacy of chavez and maduro i'm not saying those people don't exist but what i am saying is we sent out crews to see what was out there mm -hmm. and what people were saying and the overwhelming majority that we found even if they were former Maduro supporters, or even if they still kind of had some connection with the government, overwhelming majority want to change. And I think that that's what we represented in our documentary, like Nelson was saying. And that's the reason why you mostly see those voices is because they're the ones that are everywhere that we found. 
Um, that's not to say that the other side doesn't exist. It's just, you know, you kind of, we kind of represented in our film what we were able to find out there. And we did want to keep a voice for the, uh, for the government. Like we did try to show Randall's father and family and we did try to show Edgar and we did try to show a little bit of the mentality of why people support right. that, those, that so much. And I think the example of Randall's father was really, really good. I mean, having that life-saving surgery for his mother mm-hmm. and when they could never have afforded that, which was paid for by Chavez and the oil profits. I mean, that is, you know, she owes her life to those social programs, which unfortunately were unsustainable, but regardless what word would, I mean, think about it. Yeah. If you were to put yourself in those shoes, where would your loyalty end or where would your support end if you're literally or your life is this person, this government, this political party? So I think that's a good understanding or good insight into why cert- there is certain loyalty that is just like so rock solid. Right. I mean, I think you put it perfectly. And that's why I asked you that question, because I I feel like that's what makes this documentary stand out. Obviously, anyone else could have just focused on one side because it can be uh, left unsaid that the Maduro supporters are, you know, quote unquote, bad guys or whatever. You know, they're against democracy and people's rights. But the fact that you put the example of Randall's father and his mother, um, I think that made it so real and so powerful because in Venezuela and countries that deal with a dictatorship, you do have those instances where people stand for those uh, systems for whatever reason. In his case, it was for healthcare. Um, So that was, at least to me, that was extremely valuable information. Um, And it was also heartbreaking to see Randall, how much he was struggling against a system that was taking everything away, but his father was grateful for, or it seems like he was grateful for. Yeah, I, I don't know. Unfortunately, that's oh, there he is. We do. Almost. Sorry, Nelson, you're frozen. I think I'm like, am I lagging? Maybe a um, little. Randall's story, the story, Randall's story is the story of all you know, like where the day to day becomes difficult to survive, but also you have a family member who loves and supports the government. In every Venezuelan family, there is somebody who benefits from the government. And you cannot talk about politics. You know, that's just like a rule. You know, I've lost uncles and oh, wow. friends because, you know, you just you just don't debate that anymore. You know, you just kind of like accept it. Mm-hmm. And then you move on. You know, everybody has a different opinion. And if you are pro-government or not, you know that there's some kind of benefit, you know. And, you know, people make decisions, you know. And you can't really question that. Unfortunately, you know, some people decide to live with it and then it just makes it extend. You know, that's the problem. Right. I wonder how they rationalize that because, you know, uh, I'm sure Randall's father can look around and see his son struggling or see how they can't put food on the table. So it's it's interesting to think about how people in those positions would rationalize their where their loyalty lies. It's a little bit of... I guess I could give you a personal story. Like, um, like in my family, I think most of Venezuela wanted a change, you know, because we came from the party system and then very corrupt, and then uh, the the poverty level was rising. The I don't know, like health system. Actually, the health system was always strong. 
because I come from a lot of doctors in my family. So they're always like, nah, <laughs> the health system is worse now. But um, the structure of socialism in Latin America always wanted to change in Venezuela. You know, it was years, decades before Chavez came, before it was actually implemented. So Chavez represented that opportunity. Fortunately, it turned out wrong. But I have an uncle who was part of social movement. Uh, it's like a great uncle in the 70s. And even till this day, he's a professor, graduated in wherever. He has a master's in wherever. And he's really freaking smart. And he loves Chavez and Maduro. And it's just wow. like, I don't, we don't see him anymore, you know, because my whole family is like, are you kidding me? You know, like where we are, you know? So, you know, and he doesn't benefit. He doesn't care about the money. He just cares about the ideals, you know? So, it's a lot of brainwashing along the way and a lot of social programs that benefit people that have no choice. You know, these people that choose to vote for the government that get food have no choice, you know, so and question that. Right. Wow. That's that's crazy. And unfortunately, very common, um, you know, very so, common. yeah, so many families get broken up over these ideas and these programs. Um, yeah, uh, I wonder when Chavez came into power, um, did you guys see a lot of uh, like Cuban influence in into like taking over the government? Yes, yes, a lot. There's there's some official information and some unofficial. I don't know where the line is in my head right because maybe i have too much information but uh, i know for a fact when chavez had a coup in 2002 he went to cuba for backup mm -hmm. that's where the you know that's where a lot of the trade of i don't know military intelligence started you know i don't know the line you know but i know for not like for a fact now every social program where you have to notarize everything. Everything notarized is controlled by Cuban intelligence. But I don't know when it started. I got there, you know, like you get that's unofficial information. I don't have it, you know, but there's a lot of trade of of um what do you call it, like systematic structure in Cuba. Right. Yeah, it's a shame. It's like a a sickness that spread. It's awful. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Why do you think this uh, systems of socialism and uh, quote unquote dictatorships have been able to grow in Latin America? I know that's a big question. <laughs> that is a crazy question. <laughs> sorry. We can take um, it out if you don't feel comfortable answering it. No, no, master handle it. He got it. Okay, I really don't know the answer. This is something that most people, I don't know anyone could interpret to know the, and understand the answer to this, but I think what the type of socialism that you see in Latin America, it's got, it's, it's like its own brand of socialism, right? It's very much like, it's not the same type of socialism that you perhaps see in other countries that um, implement, you know, like sort of high taxes or uh, 
high like redistributing redistribution like wealth redistribution mm -hmm. programs and all that it's 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 a different type and i think that that's important to understand what we and it's it's also important to sort of decide what we mean when we say socialism because um there's socialism there's communism there's marxism and then there's like and there's, there's like there's all these flavors of it so right. i think it's kind of important to delineate what we're saying um when we say that right there are socialist programs that are really just about you know the idea of sort of more socially minded programs that are about you know taking from imposing taxes or using sort of excess wealth at the top and redistributing it to the lower parts of society that aren't benefiting the least off parts of society that aren't benefiting as much um or that aren't able to do sort of uh, provide for themselves and those that's okay i think those are programs there are countries that have implemented those types of programs very well but then there is like the sort of intense like sort of revolutionary socialism right that is what kind of what we're looking at here with chavez and why it's been able to be so successful in latin america i mean the only the only hazard i could guess and this is like i'm just shooting in the dark and hopefully this is not super fucked up but like the history of colonialism yeah. um i think that I think if you look at uh, uh, if you look at where Ru where Russia and Eastern Europe was and where Russia was at um, at the end of the Middle Ages, they were dealing with um, they were they were they were one of the issues they had economically was there was a very strong iron-fisted elite class that was basically completely like um, uh, taking advantage and like forcing labor cheap labor to just like make them rich and that was what eastern europe and russia actually dealt a lot historically they didn't really go through the same sort of commercial economic sort of diversification that western europe did um and i think that part of western europe got you know with all our history what western europe did with its wonderful legacy of colonialism it essentially created the same a similar system in its colonies where it basically exploited the crap out of all of Latin Central America, including Mexico. Um, and it created, and it sort of enslaved the local population to completely fund its own um, wealth. And that is historically documented. I mean, the industrial revolution and the sort of all that 17, 18, 1900s of Europe would not have happened without what the colonial wealth that they extracted from Latin America. But I think that that type of activity lots of people being subjugated at the for at the will at the hand of a few creates a certain mentality anger frustration that builds over time and that can make you know the idea of revolutionary socialism very appealing you know what i mean like there's you know why you know this idea of a meritocracy this idea of who deserves what you know i guarantee you that Latin America did not deserve to be exploited. I, the all the all the sort of empires that were there that existed did not deserve what got to them. So this idea that we have to take what we you know we have to undo these systems right. of exploitation and in class that have um that have put us where we are is appealing. The problem is is do the people who use those ideas to build power and to get in power truly believe in them and 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 want to see them through, or do the are those people using powerful ideas to put themselves in power? And I think that's where it starts to get a little tricky. I think Chavez came in with what he said was really important.
important. Nelson can tell you Venezuela had a lot of people with a lot of things mm-hmm. and then a bunch of pe- more, a bunch more people that didn't have a lot, you know, and, and the people were being exploited and for a very long time um, through a political and economic elite. And then Chavez appealed to that suffering and that frustration. That was very powerful. Um, and, and it was right. He was correct. You know what I mean? In the sense that he was addressing a serious problem that Venezuela had. He didn't, you know, instead of maybe perhaps um, solving that problem, mm-hmm. he kind of just put himself at the top and then continued to exploit the system for himself and the people close to him for a while or in, a, in, a, in, a, in an irresponsible way. And I think Maduro really solidified that legacy. So I don't know. That's like a really like crazy film no, no, li- documentary like guy's think- answer. <laughs> No, no, Max, he, I think he gave like a whole like really important structure because without the history of what happened in Latin America, there's no today, you know, and t- today to me, where this systems of, you know, like uh, structure backed by the left idea, you know, when, yeah. when it's not a true left, you know, this is not a true social democracy, it's just a name, mm-hmm. um, our systems that are favor people to depend on you know in latin america unfortunately because the literacy level that we have we are dependent you know we are a dependent uh like uh, community you know and when the dependency becomes so strong that it's survival then that's when it's taken advantage on you know um you know if you compare it to the dependency that you have in countries from the first world people to have some type of dependency but also there is a possibility of upward mobility, you know, that doesn't exist in Latin America. You you have to live day to day, you know, and that's what they do. They crush the opportunity for people to move or to even migrate, you know, and, and then and then there's no choice, you know. So it's it's just a way, you know, the same people that Chavez took out, you know, that was like a like a small group of people controlling the whole government and the whole country he put in you know now it's a smaller group and unfortunately it works worse you know and it's the same thing that happened in Cuba where yes there was problems yes there was uh unliteracy and you know all these things that the revolution was fighting for and it was beautiful on paper but when it comes to the reality it's like what is actually happening you know if we can't really choose who rules our country you know so to yeah. me it's a dependency thing you know yeah, I, I think. But it comes from the history that of what happened in Latin America. Right. Know? I think that you both answered that perfectly because the more you think about this, um, you know, it it does boil down to our history and the fact that, you know, uh, you look at Europe and Eastern Europe and they've had hundreds and hundreds of years to to adjust and, uh, you know, quote unquote, get over their their historical issues that they carry their baggage from generation to generation but we have it we're not there yet and and the fact that you have these politicians being able to pinpoint what the issue is in society and make all these promises that uh, it makes us vulnerable i think i don't know i also I think that there's that. we have if there's also the history of our indigenous people mm-hmm. uh especially in the caribbean um yeah. it's some of the tribes, because the, the Caribes, you know, like, I just remember, because I was sure that we're nomads, you know, and then we're one of the only 
uh, indigenous in Latin America who weren't able to be like controlled, you know, because they were they they were always moved, you know. Mm -hmm. So Caracas was always known like as a dangerous valley before the Spaniards came, you know. So because of, you know because of all the hot blood that exists in the Caribbean, I feel like it's easy, you know, to to create chaos, you know, and chaos it's easy to control, you know. Right. You know? It's a different type of tribe, you know, but I mean, I'm actually excluding like Mexico, you know, Northern Americas and Southern Americas, but but this conversation that we're having lives strongly in the Caribbean, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. Um, thank you for trying to answer that question. I know that wasn't the simplest question, but... <laughs> <That's difficult. laughs> I had to ask you because I honestly think about this all the time, believe Jenny, it or not. <laughs> Jenny, we've done a lot of interviews and that was the hardest question really? by far I've ever been asked. Oh my God. Oh, I'm so going to take that as a compliment. That is a really hard question. That, you could ask anyone that and they'd be like, okay, hold on. Give me a second here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I have asked cool. that question to other people and I have to say your answers both have been the one that makes the most sense. So. Thank you. Thank you. You know your stuff, obviously. Um, I wanted to quickly touch upon sure. the the clap boxes. Am I getting the name correct? Was it clap? The the food yeah, boxes. Yeah. What's clap? Se dice así. Sí. Okay. Um. Eh, pero déjame. It's an acronym. I have See, it's, a, it's it. an acronym, and I, I did not write that down. Like, I have like a bajillion notes here, and I did not put that down. I just put the clap box. Okay, I'll look it up. Um, Los de okay. See. I mean, like, La Caja Club is basically all this conversation we had boils down to, like, that box. You yes, know what I mean? that's <laughs> like, why I uh, wanted to bring up the dependency. box. <laughs> yeah, it's dependency, it's systematic, um, like, need for the people. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then on the other side, you have the government saying, like, look, we are providing six-minute clap boxes that help. Okay, the clap is just a box that has... The basic need for a family to sustain for a month, I believe. I forgot the time, but I don't know. It's like dos kilos de arroz, like oil, like the most basic. Right. And then um, supposedly it could feed over like six million people, six million. I can't remember if it's people or families. Um, but the claps, the boxes don't come to everybody. They only come to the people that own a specific ID for mm -hmm. the government. So basically, the loyal government supporter and uh it doesn't always come in consistent times you know so that's the product but behind the product there's all these companies that um are just money laundering um with the government money you know to create opportunity to create a systematic need for the people and that's right. how Venezuela works yeah it seems like como que crean la escasez de, de la comida Y, y después te dan la solución. Oh, it's okay. You, you'll get a, a clap box for, you know, to, so you can feed your, your family. But then you don't realize yeah. that you're going hungry because of the government issues. 
or I'm sure they do yeah. realize that's why they're on in the street. Yeah, there's a there's a deep deep irony if you look at it all because like Chavez and Maduro, like part of what they said they wanted was to sort of relinquish the chains of the West in a way. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like Chavez had nothing but hate and frustration publicly, at least. Um, for like America and Western right. Europe and capitalism and all that. And so his whole thing was like, let's be free of this, of these chains, basically of capitalism in the West. And ironically, he took on policies that only made Venezuela more dependent on these other economies and, and Western functioning economies. And I think the food is a perfect example where like Venezuela's own food producing industries have been bankrupt or run into the ground or incapable. And so most of the food has to be be imported from outside of the country readily packaged. And that's what the Clapbox ends up being. And that's what Hausman is talking about in our documentary. And so even less like it's, it's, it's not a, the, it's, they're not at all independent. In fact, they're reliant on Sort of the sort of functioning markets of the surrounding countries in the world, but and the, but what they are creating is a system of control internally, right as well, um, and that is basically food for loyalty, food to be quiet, even though it's inconsistent and it's, you know, it's inconsistent and it's of poor quality. Right. That's yeah. I think that sums it up perfectly because there is that dependency that, and. People who have, you know, you, you have a family, you have kids, you're going hungry. Are you really going to turn away a box? It must be a difficult situation and, and position to be in. About Leopoldo Lopez, I, I, he's such a big part of, of, you know, the story. And, and um, not to say the first, but what seems like one of the really, the, the first people to really be able to bring people together. Um, what was it like to document his story? I think one thing, our first thing was, okay, we have access to this Leopoldo story. Let's do it. Um, and this is great because he's just so um, significant. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, um, it's like the, the opposition in the story is bigger than Leopoldo, right? And that was one thing that when we first started this documentary, we well a it was hard to document a subject who was in prison you know he was in prison when we first started this document it was like hard to get an interview um and then the second thing is you know part of the whole thing is making this about venezuela the people not just the political elites right and so like if we made a venezuela a documentary all about leopoldo we're sort of like contradicting the mission in the form of what we're making um, and so, and Nelson was very, like, Nelson being very attuned to all this was like, um, I can't tell how much Nelson's here because he keeps breaking up a little bit in the corner. He froze but, for um, me. Oh, no, um, he's back. He's back. Okay, yeah, but yeah. Nelson was very tuned to making the story larger than Leopoldo, which, thank God, you know, that was his instinct because that, you know, would have been a very different documentary um, from the outset because just to feedback on the process, you know, when I first started this project I didn't know much about Venezuela at least deeply so Mm -hmm. I kind of had to learn over time and then I obviously now much more understanding but at the outset really leaned on Nelson for his you know his understanding 
but getting to know Leopoldo was amazing. I mean, I think one thing that I learned through the process of working closely with Leopoldo when talking with him is that, you know, he's very dedicated and he doesn't sleep. You know what I mean? He's, he's doing this every day, all day, wakes up. This is what he breathes and, and dreams of. Um, and, and that type of dedication in a person is unique and amazing. Um, but the other thing that you, you learn is that this is really hard. Like what's going, like what they're doing, not just Leopoldo, but what the entire opposition is trying to do is really, really, really hard to dislodge a dictatorship that's in a way fighting for its very life and that has control over vast, a vast intelligence structure, support from countries like Russia and China and Iran. And, you know, not, not to say that there's nothing wrong with those countries, it's more that they have support, they're not just right. on an island. Um, and so what they're trying to do is really hard. And so I think sometimes Leopoldo makes mistakes. Sometimes other people, other leaders in the opposition have made mistakes. Sometimes they get it wrong. Sometimes they get it right. But it's like, it's really hard to fight a dictatorship when you don't have any freedom. And it's really easy to make mistakes because very few people have ever fought this type of thing before. So at the, so I, I, I think that, um, and I know this conversation has kind of become a, uh, my answer has kind of become a, a larger thing than just Leopoldo, but I think I learned to believe that Leopoldo truly wants what's best for Venezuela. And I think he fights really hard for that. And even if that's not what is what's best, or even if that is, that doesn't align with all the other, with other opposition leaders, I truly believe in his motives and his, his motives are, are pure. And um, and, 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 and that goes for a lot of the other opposition leaders, um, not all of them, of course. So I think, you know, if anything, what I learned is just you have to celebrate their dedication. You have to, you know, praise them for it um, and just understand that, you know, they're not they're, they're not may have not gotten it right yet. But I can guarantee you that they're not going to stop until they do. Yeah, it's impressive. The the way he just perseveres, you know, he just keeps going. It's incredible that one person can can have that kind of dedication. Because I don't, I don't think it's the normal thing would have been to say, "Okay, I tried. I'm moving on," you know. I will say, and I this should be said more often, um, is the only reason he's able to do that is because of his wife because of his family and because of his mom because of his dad like they are rock solid for him you know what i mean his whole family particularly lillian obviously um and what she allows him to be able to do um because she's out there fighting every day she's got three kids you know what i mean she said she's had to raise and is raising um and she's got you know she's 100% the reason Leopoldo is able to be who he is. And so I think, um, you know, we try to feature her a little bit, um, but she's, because she works more with human rights, isn't, mm -hmm. wasn't want to be as politically affiliated at, at all times. And so right. we had to be sensitive to that during the filming of our project. Things have changed a little bit now. Um, but I think it's, you know, if you, when you say the word Leopoldo Lopez is amazing, you also have to follow it up with Lillian Tintori is also amazing because she's the only reason that he's able to do what he's doing.
Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because uh, the little bit that she is in the film, you can tell that she's a, a badass, for lack of a better <laughs> adjective, you know? She's she's one strong lady. So that, oh, yeah. they're an incredible family. She's actually I, one of the first subjects that we filmed because the little bolo was in prison. Mm-hmm. We wanted to follow his story and Lina was the first like a uh, link to the whole documentary. She was very she was very willing to help us and we follow her at the beginning. And once she started showing up in the street, we knew something was happening and then we activated the crew and two weeks passed and then the big protest started. Also want to give a shout out to Nixon, like Leopoldo and like many students that protest, many opposition leaders. Um, this is people that gave their life for us, you know? And I think, like, personally, I would say that as we were making this project that was so difficult, I would talk to them, we would talk to them, and then I would just be humble, uh, reminded that we actually have a very, you know, um, right. we want to vote, we will vote, you know, even if the person that we vote doesn't win, you know, the country doesn't fall apart. So, you know, we have food, I don't know, we have, like, systems yeah. that protect us. So I was constantly reminded that, that my problems were small next to their problems. That's so true. It puts everything into perspective. Right. Um, any future projects for the two of you that you'd like to discuss? Uh, I don't know, Max. I don't know. Yeah, we talked uh, here and there. Me and Max and Marcus. There's a third partner that was part of this project. He helped with a lot of production and basically keeping this boat together. Mm-hmm. Um, we went separate ways the pandemic and um i'm sure like me and max will work on something like down the line you know um, but right now i'm in colombia i'm actually doing like uh, i'm trying to build a whole universe in the fiction world so i wrote a film and i'm shooting a teaser right now i just finished it so yeah i'm ideally i want to keep the conversation going around certain topics of immigration and like i don't know latin america and problems i don't know hopefully the next three films i could do here and just ground myself first here and then uh, whatever comes next. That's where I'm at. I'm in, uh, my next project is not going to be anything on the level of what we just did in Venezuela. Um, it's more, it's a, it's a slightly different topic. It's more in the uh, sports arena. Um, that's intentional. Uh, coming out of Alakaya and coming out of what I, what we did, I'm just like don't know if I can go into another like serious in depth right. project like that. Um, I need something a little lighter, <laughs> not just in terms of subject matter, but like as a beginning and an end um, that I can that I understand uh, on the onset. Um, and I, I say that half jokingly and half serious. Like, um, like of course, if in Nelson, I said this before. Like, okay, if there needs to be another film in Venezuela or something important happens, someone calls us and is like, yo, you got to go do this where you want you to do this. Okay. Answer the call. We love, you know, I mean, we're there. I'm there, but barring anything like that, I wouldn't choose to go into something like that because it's just very, very intense process to get to know people as much, as close as we have. And to know still to this day, the film is done. It's about to go out and they're still suffering. You know what I mean? Like we still get phone calls and we still have text messages from people we know still suffering and struggling. And that's very hard 
and I don't want to talk about how hard it is for me. I just don't know mm -hmm. that I, I, I just, it, it is harder for them, obviously, because they're in that situation. But what I mean to say is like, it's still difficult emotionally and psychologically for me. And I think that I don't know that I'm going to rush into another project that puts me there. Um, I need a little bit of time to recover. And I'm just being honest. Uh, but the future, hopefully, the, my next immediate project will be a little bit lighter, more in the sports world. And um, it will also be a documentary. And uh, yeah, I can't really talk about much more than that because otherwise uh, I'll get in trouble. <laughs> no, no, let's not do that. Um, what do you think about the future of Venezuela based on everything you've learned through this documentary, through making this documentary, I should say? Uh, that's probably as difficult as the other answer, but I would say I think I'm going to answer as a Venezuelan and not as a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. I think I think we will see change. It's gonna be slow because the structure of Chavismo has engraved itself into like the roots of <laughs> of the you know social and like structural economic every single power of Venezuela. So it will take years, decades possibly. But um, I would say every Venezuelan loves Venezuela, so I don't think we would allow this to go forever you know right. the problem is that all, all sectors of society have to kind of like come to the table and i think it's just a matter of time you know patiently waiting um a lot of colleagues can even go back to the country so you know we, we're we're together in this fight but i believe in the next five to ten years we'll see some important change for sure god willing yes yeah I don't know how, but I'm, I'm, we all feel it, you know, we all feel it. I think your I film is definitely a, a step forward for sure, because uh, you're able to open up, you know, a, a whole world to, to everybody and not just Venezuelans. Anybody can connect to this film, which is what makes it so special in my opinion. I think... What you guys did is, and you've probably heard this already, but it's more than, than a documentary. You know, you've uh, documented such an important time in history. And I would say in human history, not just Venezuelan history, because you really showed how people can really come together when they need to. And, and you know, you, you see the, the human spirit in those people just not being crushed no matter the circumstances and that's so special thank you thank you that's definitely you. a compliment and i hope there's 10 other documentaries about venezuela yes yeah me too yeah, yeah. unfortunately i have to head up no no problem oh. i i will let you both go thank you so much for spending an hour oh my goodness more than an hour with me wow um whenever you're in miami you're welcome to you know join us in the studio and oh, i lost oh. you so i have another meeting to jump in yes oh okay <laughs> thank you nelson um thank you max as i was saying if you guys are ever in miami uh you're welcome to to come over to the studio and uh we can actually meet like normal human thank people you, <laughs> thank you gentlemen yeah, we'll do best we'll of luck by. with the film thank you so much
The documentary film Malacaya is now available on HBO Max. It is a film that tackles the realities of the Venezuelan people over the last uh, couple years. Make sure to check it out and let us know what you think in a comment down below. We also want to dedicate this episode to all of the Venezuelan people and everybody across the globe who's dealt with an oppressive regime. Thank you once again and see you next time. Mm-hmm.